Welcome to the World of Wellness, your one-stop shop for education, inspiration, and practical tools to build a healthy, sustainable, holistic lifestyle. I'm your host, Megan Zucra, and together we're gonna get fit, feel good, and have fun. Let's do this. Welcome to another episode of the World of Wellness Center podcast. Always happy to be here. Um, I'm your host, Megan. And today we have special guest Diana Christensen on the podcast. And you have no idea how much of a pleasure it is for me to introduce you to Diana because Diana is just an amazing human. And she is one of my favorite teachers. She's been my teacher since 2015. And Diana is a Ashtanga yoga teacher, and we'll get into that a little bit, but she also has her master's degree in psychology and a deep appreciation for Eastern philosophies and meditation. Um, She's been practicing and teaching for over 30 years, and she has a brand new book out called Your Golden Journey. And we will talk all about that too. And without further ado, here's Diana. Um, Diana, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. You have no idea how excited I am to introduce everybody to you. (laughs) I'm so Um, excited. Why don't you start with introducing yourself and we'll go from there. Okay. I am uh, happily living in South Laguna Beach with my two rescue dogs and recently have just moved my mom a three minute walk from uh, my house. So I'm really grateful to be living where I am. And my yoga school is a 10 minute drive down PCH. And I've had the school for six, it's going to be 17 years, been teaching yoga and wellness programs for over 25. As Megan knows, we do some uh, international retreats and I just really love pulling together all of my um, love for psychology and philosophy and breath and meditation and using yoga and just inspiring people's lives. So um, that's why I'm here today. So that's a short introduction, but yeah. Love it. Um, Can you tell us a little bit about your background and how you ended up doing what you're doing now? Yeah, I have always loved um, psychology, philosophy, poetry, and and wellness as well. I think any of my friends, my best friend from high school would say she was always sitting in Lotus. And she, I mean, I knew I would love yoga before I ever really got into yoga. I just, I was just on my path. I knew it. Yeah. So, um, so I really, I went to undergrad and studied psychology, which a lot of people do. And then after I graduated, I just had this pull towards Asia, particularly Japan. And again, it was one of those things, like I studied a little bit of the culture. I loved some of the, um, the different, uh, types of philosophy that have to do with, um, things, different things that have come out of the the actual culture. So I went and just decided to live and work in Japan. And while I was there, I fell in love with Thailand and was able to um, move my, um, my love over to Thailand and spend some time working for relief and development organization there, Food for the Hungry. 
And um, after I graduated from after I, I after I graduated from being in Asia in two years, which it really is the best education ever. I highly recommend travel. Um, I came back and um, spent some time in the field. And, and again, I felt like that was a really important part of my journey to, I could tell you all the different crazy jobs I've had in psychology um, and people I've worked with and just fell in love with. And I knew at some point I wanted to pursue that and then went for my master's in psychology. And by then I was already working in um, working with yoga and working with different modalities that really use our bodies for healing and um, have just over the years been able to really intertwine all of these together. So if you were to study one of these pieces with me and Megan knows this, for example, if you study yoga, you're always going to get psychology and neuropsychology and poetry and philosophy. And if you're my private student and I'm coaching you because you're stressed or you have an issue with anger, you're going to get um, this, this idea of breath and you're going to be getting some movements that will release that. And so I can never separate those three out, you know, the body, the physiology, and then the energy, and then also our mental health, our, our spirit. So I'm constantly finding um, new things I love and books and um, teachers and, and weaving those three together. I think that's so important. You can't do any, we, we are our body. We are our mind. We are our energy. You can't separate them at all. And I think for me, that's why I'm so passionate about a holistic lifestyle because I've gone down the rabbit hole of only working on my physical body, but then kind of having to take the lessons learned from that and look at how that's applying and maybe how you're not paying attention to your mind. There's always an imbalance. That's it's so that's important to get them weaved together. Um, I don't know if you actually know this about me, but the first time I ever practiced yoga was right. As soon as I, um, graduated college and I had a really bad back injury where, um, I had gotten in a car accident and had really bad sciatica down my leg. And, that was 2014 and yoga has always been kind of like a kind of like home base, like anywhere I go, that's the, the foundation. So if I want to talk about yoga, <laughs> yes, let's talk about yoga. Yeah. <laughs> um, why, why is it so important and what, what is, why is it different from any other modality that we would do with our body and then kind of also weaving in there to the difference of Ashtanga yoga based upon traditional Western yoga or yeah. What, how, how Western people kind of may yoga, not yoga. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of questions. In yeah, there. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so one of the things that is unique about yoga is it's it literally means to yoke and so you're you're bringing together your mind and your body because as you've said Megan so often we we find ourselves like focusing on one and not realizing how much they uh, how these two are constantly intertwined and if you're taking care of one you're also taking care of the other in one facet or another but Yoga is a science and it's thousands of years old and it's a science of health and how to take care of our, as you said, our holistic health. And I, I feel like that is unique because, and I'm, I'm going to jump around to answer all your questions, but 
A lot of times here in the West, we find ourselves doing something for our body and yet not really taking care of our mind in that process and, um, and doing something for our body and actually depleting our energy. And so the more you study yoga and understand this, the science behind it, you will be studying the physiology of your lymphatic system. You'll be studying the physiology of your bones. And at the same time, you're going to study this very old science of prana, which is the our energetic self. So yoga is a practice that we refer to as a pranic practice, which means we are, we're literally studying your life force, the energy that rides on the breath. And, and this is unique. I, I want to say that in all the different uh, forms of, of health that I've, I've run into or practice myself, there are very few that will actually be called a pranic practice. For example, Tai Chi and some of the martial arts. And I'm really excited to see there's a whole new movement on just breath practices, pranayama. But that is something that is unique to yoga, where we are studying and understand the meridians or the values and how we have um, these invisible systems that are channels where our energy is, is constantly moving. And so yoga is the art of finding those blockages and finding different yoga poses and breath work in order to move through those blockages. And also to to do this work on a regular basis so we don't have blockages. And I just, I just want to stay on prana for a minute and, and go back to the physical practice and the pranic practice of yoga to say, when I spend my day in a habitual pattern where my I'm, I'm on my computer or my phone and, and I'm slightly, the shoulders are drawn in. And then this, this area here is slightly tucked in as well and closed. Back is a little rounded towards the top. We are, we are closing those, those sources of energy that are the important vital parts of our, our throat where we receive our oxygen and take it through in the heart region. And doing something as simple as yoga, so you can just see where I was just here. I'm going to do these poses like um, up dog, or I'm going to expand and get tall through the um, lengthen out the spine. And you can't see my hips, but where we're sitting for hours and hours and hours a day, and that hip is closed and shrinking and in, in contraction, we do poses in yoga, not only to lengthen it out and stretch it, but when we push our hips forward, we're actually stretching that hip flexor. So phys physically, it's amazing for our bodies. It's uh, it's uh, one of the best things we can do for our bodies, but it's also doing that same work in the energy regions of the heart. These are the areas I focus on the heart, the throat, and the hips. These are three primary areas that we're moving energy and actually creating more health, which then this is, I always do the third bodies and the third one being our mental health. What we know is that when we start to breathe and to open up these regions that are closed throughout the day, it, it lightens our mood and it gives us the ability. And, and Megan has worked with me for years on understanding the nervous system and how this can be instrumental in allowing us to get better at modulating between our sympathetic and our parasympathetic nervous system, which is directly correlated to our moods. And so if you want to have less stress in your life and more happiness, yoga is the way to go. But um, coming back to Megan talking about her being in a car accident, so many people have come to yoga throughout the years because they were either in some type of physical pain or they were in some type of depression or anxiety or stress, which is also correlated to our, emo our um, energetic self. 
And so what we know, even though it's thousands of years old, what people are finding in our modern day um, living, modern day stress living is that it is healing. It is one of the most healing practices that we can do. And when we find that healing, we also realize it's a practice that if we do it on a regular basis, keeps us holistically healthy. I, while you were saying all this, I was running through my brain of the difference in how I feel after I practice yoga and the difference in how I feel after I'm running or after I'm strength training. And I always feel the best after I do yoga. I, I, there's no comparison to either of them. Um, do you think that is because you're so engrossed in what you're doing. You're focusing on one spot and you're on your breath. And, you know, when we're going on a run, we have our headphones in, we're looking around at all the different things. If we're in a gym, basically the same thing. There's a lot of different people around in music. So we're not as focused and as present. I think, um, I'm curious of what you think about that. Yes, actually, this is something that is, um, I could talk about for hours <laughs> and it, it's in the book we'll get to later, but it's so needed. It, we, we are thirsty for what yoga offers us and we're not getting it anywhere else. And that is time to reflect and be quiet. And, and as you said, if, and, and this is why some of the, as you alluded to some of the Western yoga, isn't working quite the same as the older traditional yogas where we're, you know, we're not playing loud music during yoga class. Um, we are doing a practice where we're, our intention is to quiet and still our minds. And our intention is to use a breath to help the mind be still. The intention is to use a yoga pose that's opening up regions of the body um, to be fully present and aware of what's going, what's happening in my body, to be fully connected to my body. And so um, all of the old uh, text, when you study yoga, really, it is a form of a moving meditation. It's a form of stilling the, um, the, the monk, my teacher in India would say, it's a way of stilling the monkey mind. And also, as you know, Megan, it's a way of, I, I say this in Sanskrit, I'm going to say that this svadhyaya, sva meaning self. And adhyaya is I do this getting close to something, getting close to yourself. So it's like you go to a psychology class or you're going to a, um, a therapy session every time you go to your mat, because it is this opportunity for you to quiet this busy mind and get away from our looking and our comparing and our, and our doing. There's no competition in yoga. There's no um, get your heart rate up to a certain bit. There's, there's no try to look like this person over here. Yoga is really a, a practice that brings us into knowing ourselves. And it, so I, I talk with my hands a lot. I always say it's, a, it's an internal practice. And when we get better and better at practicing, connecting to ourselves and listening and knowing ourselves, as Socrates says, know thyself, the more we do that, the better I get at living um, the, outs the outside world doing its things like, oh, I'm so happy. Megan has me on her podcast. Oh, I'm so sad. No one really cares about my teachings. Oh, I'm so happy. You know, everyone's healthy today. Oh, I'm so sad. Someone I love is not healthy today. Life is constantly pulling at us. 
But when we do a practice like yoga, where we keep coming back to ourselves and our breath and being quiet and listening and knowing ourselves, then we show up for life different. Then we show up for our joys different, our joys fully present. And we show up for our challenges as well, fully present. And we're able to live our lives more intentionally. And so almost we want to see 99.9% of the time people will do their yoga practice. And even if it was hard to get there, right, Megan, like it was really hard to get there. I didn't want to go. I felt lazy. I want to stay in bed, but I got to my yoga mat and I did my practice and we always feel better because we have just, I use this funny word, but we've just serviced ourselves. You know, it's like, we just plugged our pot in. We got our energy charged. We got our mind quieted. We, we were able to open these areas that get blocked throughout the day. And we, we leave there feeling our perspective changes too, right? So you, if you walked in feeling kind of like irritated at your partner or a little peevish about something you, because this is an internal breath practice and you have that perspective, you, you wind up leaving kind of like, ah, eh, that's such a big deal or, you know, having that, let it go, you know? Yeah. So what's, I know the answer, but <laughs> for discussion sakes, um, what's what's the difference between Ashtanga and something that you would go and get at like a core power type yoga place? It's, it's good. I know the answer. <laughs> uh, one of the things that Megan knows about me is that I I will um, I'll never go down that path of this is better. And this is, um, it's just different. And, and I think Megan really wants me to articulate the difference between what I would refer to Ashtanga is an, as a traditional practice. And we don't have a lot of that here in the West. So I, I was just being interviewed for a magazine article and they asked the same questions like, what is this traditional practice? What's traditional? Traditional is, I would, I've always compared Ashtanga yoga more to martial arts than other forms of yoga in that you have a teacher and a teaching, and we don't refer to uh, this as going to a yoga class, but we we refer to it as my practice. And when it's my practice, I'm responsible for it. It belongs to me. It doesn't belong to that yoga studio. It doesn't belong to that teacher. It's mine. And like any good relationship, I have to cultivate that. And so um, Ashtanga is less about, I think it's always gotten a bad rap of being like this really hard yoga and these really difficult poses. And um, but but the bigger story of Ashtanga yoga is that it is a practice where you have a relationship with it. And your teacher is someone on your path that is a guide and someone that supports holding a space for you to explore and to transform and to change and to grow and to go through um, plateaus and be frustrated like any good relationship, any good marriage, and to come back to it and to fall in love again. So I, I studied Ashtanga in India. Ashtanga means eight limbs in Sanskrit. So it is a, a very, as Megan loves this about it, it's a very holistic practice. And um, I was taught by my teacher, Patabi Joyce and Sharat and his um, mother, Saraswati. And I was taught and then I was given like a baton that said, um, here, you, you, you can do this now. I want you to go and teach this practice. 
And then in the, in a lineage, so this is considered a lineage, then I would um, honor my teachers and try to teach Megan, who's my student in the lineage, the way that my teachers in India taught me. And, and so there's, there's, there's this really beautiful, like I always focus on the breath because that's what my teachers taught me to do. I always practice on um, holding the movements and pausing so that you're training your mind to stay present because that's what my teacher taught me. And I know that it works because I've been doing this for 30 years and I know it works. So um, at our school, which we call Shala, which in, it means school, a traditional practice means you're a student of something and you have a teacher. We're so blessed to have a teacher and that the practice itself in Ashtanga is considered the teacher. So if I'm a guide on your path, the bigger teacher is the practice constantly teaching you. And um, so I think some of the newer yogas that we've had grow out of our Western culture have had pieces of this. And, um, and I think that's beautiful. I have so many of my um, students that have fallen in love with Ashtanga that came from other gyms, studios, or modalities that fell in love with it because it just gave them energy or they fell in love with it because they had a bad back and they started to feel a shift in their back. And, and it, you know, I say to people, Ashtanga is not for everybody, but if you came to one Ashtanga class, I would, and I've been teaching this for, for many, many years, but I would say if you even came to one Ashtanga class and something inside you like connected, like felt like I'm coming home to something, then it's your practice, you know, but um, I have students of every age. I have students uh, who are in their seventies and eighties. My youngest student was 12 years old when they first started. And um, so I think it's more of like, when I say to people, if you want to have a counselor or a therapist, check it out and see if it's a good fit for you. See if that relationship's a good fit for you. And I feel the same about yoga. You know, there's so many different types of yoga out there and to, to test out a type of yoga and see, is this a good fit for me as well as, as a teacher? I feel like a teacher and a teaching is a light on our path of life. And, and so to find that right light for your path is really important. Um, I feel like, I, well, there could be a whole nother discussion on the eight limbs of yoga. <laughs> for days. Um, my, my question would be more to the, I don't want to use the word practical, but the physical aspect Ashtanga is a set sequence of poses and vinyasas. What is the benefit of that? That's a great question. Um, Ashtanga is a sequence, which means it's like a dance. You learn it. And then you, you've memorized it. And so what I was saying earlier, when I was touching my hand and my heart, it belongs to you. You can practice it anywhere. Uh, my teacher in India, I said, you just need a floor. <laughs> and if you have a floor, you can practice because you have memorized the sequence of inhaling your arms up, exhaling your arms down. And even as you progress, as Megan is progressing in her practice, You've memorized it. So when your teacher gives you a new pose, you envelop that in what you've already memorized and what you already do. And the wisdom of that is your body grows with the practice and changes with the practice. So I don't just walk into a situation where I don't know the sequence, I don't know the poses, and I'm just randomly <laughs> trying new things and whatnot. So there's there's really wisdom to this idea of we we learn it, we memorize it, our body memorizes it, and then we, we receive a new pose and our body learns that and, and, and we change with our yoga practice. 
Um, and so I really think that's one of the greatest benefits of Ashtanga is that you memorize it and it is not, it's, it's like a dance you do over and over again that becomes a moving meditation. I think that's why practicing also makes me feel like it's, we've talked about this, but like coming home, because it's like, this, this is what it is. I'm familiar with this. This feels good. I know how I feel with it. And I think that's very comparable to what people feel when they go visit their parents or see people that they've known for a long time. Um, I haven't had that many yoga teachers, <laughs> um, but what I find very unique about the way that you teach is you teach before we practice, not necessarily in Mysore, but um, when we're doing a lead class, you spend 15, 20, 30 minutes teaching and you call that conference. And well, how did that start? So I was studying because for me to teach you, I have to continue to study myself. I was in India and I was studying with Sharat and we were in Goa. And in India, the tradition is that every Sunday we would gather together, not for yoga postures, yoga asana, but for conference, which was an opportunity for us to ask our teacher questions and listen and receive a teaching. And we would all look forward to that on Sundays and we would wear like our nice clothes. We had, you know, gotten in India and we would have our hair down rather than back and we weren't all sweaty and we would all gather and get as close as we could to um, our teacher at the time. We lovingly called like sensei, we called Guruji. And, and it was just a really uh, beautiful opportunity to receive a teaching and learn something outside of the physical and breath practice itself. Some of the old texts, some of the philosophy, some of the science. And when I was with Sharat in Goa on this one trip, I had told him that there, in my teachings, I wasn't finding a place for people to really get a chance to ask questions or for, for me to give people things other than just you know, these yoga poses. And I remember he said to me, Oh, Diana, you, you must teach conference. And it was like a light bulb went on. And I mean, from there for, I and mean, from that moment forward, I started preparing semester study and teachings that have to do with every aspect of life. And for me, that, that is these, these books that are behind me. So we've studied, psychology with Sean Aker. And um, we've studied energy with Carolyn Meese. We've studied um, suffering and finding our strength through Viktor Frankl's work in Man's Search for Meaning and uh, neuroplasticity. So I love to weave all these different studies together to give my students something to keep them growing and challenging themselves and um, and thirsty to continue to better themselves. So I, again, I use this word svadhyaya, but in yoga, there is really like a calling for us to continue to want to move towards um, our own light. And so conference is just such a, has been such a great opportunity for me to, to inspire people other than just yoga poses and opening up your physical body and your breath to want to pick up a book and read it, to journal, to self-reflect, to set intentions for the new year. As May will tell you, part of conference 
involves studies from cultures all over the years. And I've picked up on so many different little rituals that I love. And I feel like we need to continue to study and we need rituals in our life to, um, to help us continue to be our most vibrant selves. So we do studies that have to do with, you know, Chinese new year, Indian new year, Jewish new year, um, you name it and we're, <laughs> we're studying it. And, and I absolutely love that. As a matter of fact, uh, we were just looking on our YouTube channel. We have over 400 teachings recorded wow. just over the past, you know, few years of recording the conferences. That's a, Amazing. And I was also thinking this morning just about me, <laughs> but you know, I've only been back in Southern California for a couple months and I don't, I don't even know, but just being a part of your conference and your teachings makes me feel like a better human. <laughs> like when I'm learning I I, and, and I, I just, I just like learning. And I think everything that you teach is so applicable to everybody and everybody's going to get something different. And it's something's going to resonate with whatever it is, but I just think you do such a fantastic job of you're such a good teacher. <laughs> oh, that's so sweet of you to say, like, I, I honestly, a great example of what Megan's saying is right now um, it's the Chinese new year. And so we've been studying the flow of energy and how the flow of energy works in our body, but in our life to understand feng shui, to understand the placement of furniture, but to understand um, the bagua, the, um, the different, like the mapping of our different, the principles of life. It's fascinating and it's interesting, but, and I think this is what Megan's um, getting at. I always tell my students, it's one thing to study these things and it, it's incredibly interesting and, oh, I didn't know that. And it's 6,000 years old, but I always come back to this. How is it going to change your life? How is studying this idea of energy flow going to change, Megan, how you're a loving person? How's it going to change your vocation, your relationship with your job, um, your creativity? And so every conference is really some, in my opinion, fascinating study, but it always comes back to how will you apply this to your life and how will this make you a better human being? That's why she gives us homework too. <laughs> Lots of homework. <laughs> so how did, well, let's, let's talk about your book now <laughs> because I, okay. I'm excited because. Here's a book. What was the inspiration of your golden journey? The inspiration of the golden journey was I felt like the teachings I was giving my students at conference every week. And then throughout the week, I give a little shorter version of it. I really felt like it was applicable for any person on the planet. <laughs> I really I felt that way in my heart. And as the conferences started to go out, people passed them on to their moms and their sisters and their best friends. And um, there was really this feeling of like, this is just universal. This isn't, this isn't yoga poses. This is so much more than yoga poses. And even the conferences about yoga poses were universal that our moms could use and our sisters could use. And so I have for a long time wanted to either take one of my favorite teachings and boil it out and into a book, 
or I wanted to take uh, a number of my favorites and make a collection and to put that in a book that I could share. Again, as I say, a teaching is a light on our path. And so I really wanted to bring that light outside of the brick and mortar I call school. And we, I've been saying the, the shala without walls, a school without walls is to really give this, these simple teachings to more people in hopes that it would literally inspire them. And it's a big order, but, and change their lives. That's like why I get up and I'm excited every morning. Like, cause you know, I can work, you know, I'm, I'm pointing over here. Like I can work with um, someone and do private coaching and I can teach at my school. Um, I've done other courses where people from different parts of the country. Now we're zooming. I have students from all over the world, literally working with me. And I just so want to like bring that to more people. So the book was a collection of some of my favorites and I've been wanting to do this for a long time, but you've all heard this before. Like, but when do you make time to write a book? It's a lot of work by the way. (laughs) And so it's a promise I made to my father as he was um, during his passing, I, I made this promise to him that I would write this book and then he passed and then COVID happened. And it was a challenging time for a lot of businesses was a challenging time for us. I think I wound up working harder during that time than prior to it. But at some point I was just felt called and I was on a place um, on this property. I live in a really unique piece of property. And um, I was on this piece of the property here where it just felt like Walden Pond. I felt like Henry David Thoreau, this is where I meant to write my book and to quiet myself from other things. And so I just made a promise to my dad and I said, I'm going to give myself this amount of time and every day when I'm finished doing my yoga and all the other things I do for, for the Shala, I'm going to sit down and write this book. And I had an amazing team. I could not have done it without on the team of people that helped me. Um, But yeah. That is how the inspiration of the book and how it came to go from here to the pages. And I just want to say, I am a natural speaker. Megan knows this for conference. Like it's like someone presses an on button and my hands are going and I'm excited. And I've got like 20 books in front of me and I'm pulling this book over and that book. But when it comes to writing, um, it's like, it's like learning a different language because I can't give you the same teaching about, for example, Wabi Sabi. I can't speak it the same way I would have to write it. And so there was a huge learning curve for me to as well, take what Wabi Sabi could be um, a semester study and boil it down into something you could read in three or five minutes. And, and here's the thing with me and have it change your life. So it's, I don't want it to just be like, oh, wabi-sabi, that's interesting, um, minimalistic, and oh, it came from tea ceremony, and oh, it's about embracing what's imperfect about us and finding ourselves beautiful in our imperfections. Like, But I wanted it to be something that if after you read it, it would sit with you and go, oh, okay, that it would it, it could literally change your life. And the kind of teachings that a lot of my students who have gone on the golden journey have said... Um, I read this and then a month later, two months later, something happens and I'm applying it. And that's what I love to hear. That is, that is the purpose in me waking up and giving teachings, whether they be in person or whether they be through a book or an online zoom course or whatever is that, um, that it changes your life. So this is a 45 day pilgrimage to personal transformation. Why 45 days? 
And then my second question on top of that is, um, they, why, why design it in a way that it only takes three to five minutes to read each day? All great questions. 45 days. Well, if one of the folks were here that was helping me write it, um, it started off as it was going to be a a book that was going to be a year. It was going to be a year pilgrimage. And the more I got to writing it, I'm like, this year pilgrimage would take me like a decade to write. And so then it became a 90 day. And then we settled on, and this was, this was very thoughtful because Megan's done a lot of 30 day things with me. And, and for, I believe it is important for us to set intention and to know that we can transform, that we can commit to something. And so timeframes to me feel very important. It's like creating a space for someone. And so the time part was of a creating a space for you to say, I can commit to myself. I can commit to learning. I can commit to um, expanding and growing. I can commit to challenging myself. I can do something that's hard for 30 days. But then we we felt like the 30 days wasn't enough for this particular pilgrimage. But there's a sweet spot that people have found that work with others, whether it be, and Megan, you might find this as well in your work uh, with people, that six weeks tends to be a, a sweet spot for people where it's like not, it's, it's, it's more than just 30, but it's not too much where you're feeling like, ah, I, I don't right. have, I don't have a year. I don't have right. whatever that is. Like, yeah. Yeah. And so the 45 days wound up being that, um, that, that sweet spot for me to say, I want to invite you to challenge yourself to do something that would actually change your life. And, and, and so to do that, I think we need to be able to set um, these timeframes for ourselves. And the truth of it is, I, I think it's important to have, for example, a teacher, I think it's an honor in this lifetime to have, to found someone or, um, or a practice or a, a teacher who could lead you on a practice because it's, it, it's, um, it inspires us. And it helps us rise to be the better self. Like, you know, we all know whether we're working out at home or whether I got the self-help book or whatever it is, if I'm just led to my own devices, like I'm kind of on and off the path and, you know, but when you have a teacher and you have someone holding space for you, it shifts your, the energy you put into it. It shifts how much you value it. And so I, I really set this as a, pil- a pilgrimage and a time frame that people would say, I am worth this. I am, I am worth, I want to change my life. I'm worth going on a walk um, for a certain amount of time. And I'm going to ask you to do things that might be hard or a little bit uncomfortable. Um, some things just fun. Like some of the reads um, could be just, I love today's read. This was super fun. I want to go read the book she recommended. Um, and other times you read it and it might be something that's going to challenge you more. But I, I did boil them down into a daily read because what I found from doing this for from being a teacher for years is if I give you too much, then you won't take it in at all. So we've even seen like when I used to do longer um, YouTube, on our YouTube channel, my longer teachings, they don't view through the whole through the end. And I'm like, oh, was that one not interesting? <laughs> and and they say, well, you know, no, people just you have a certain 
you know, bandwidth and of all the things going on or whatever, that if I can keep it in that bandwidth and give you something that you're, I feel like we're all thirsty to be inspired. So if I give you enough in that three to five minute read that you're like, what is this Kintsugi stuff, man? But that just resonates with me. Like we're all broken, but we're fixed with gold. Like if I can just inspire you to be intrigued by that, then that's where the, that's where the good work comes in. So that was like keeping it to the three to five minutes. My next question kind of comes into, this ties along with it, but recently you've been teaching about Pratyahara and personally for me, that's resonated a lot, especially owning my own business and having my computer and my email, making sure, do my clients need something? Who do I need to see? Is somebody messaged me? Do I need to reschedule? And in, in that whole context too, also, I like expending my energy. And if I'm not doing something, I kind of am like, what's going on? So being busy and liking to be busy and always feeling like I needed to do something and listening to you talk about Pratyahara. And then at the same time, injuring myself to where I could not be as busy as I like to be mm. made me, it was actually the perfect blessing because it made me start to work in and really m- focus more on my breath practices and my energetic practices and my Svanyaya studies. Um, why is it so important that we train ourselves to go in and go on a golden journey and a personal pilgrimage and turn off our distractions. And what is Pratyahara? Yeah. Wonderful. So Pratyahara is Sanskrit word, which means to withdraw from your senses, which sounds kind of bizarre. Why would I withdraw from smelling and seeing and touching and feeling? But in the yoga tradition, remember, this is a health science. What we know is that if we're too distracted by our um, by our distractions, by our senses, then we're unable to be fully conscious and present for what's going on. And so in uh, one of my teachers in India used to describe it like walking five different dogs that were pulling the leashes, like, look at me, look at me, smell me, smell me, bark, 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 bark. Um, And in yoga, we train ourselves, we train our mind to pull those senses in and to focus on the breath and focus on the sound and to not be distracted by what the person next to me is doing and what I see in in the sound of construction. And, and And the more I practice it, the more I get better at being able to focus and be fully present. And in that, here's the beauty of it. You wind up being more present for then what you, what you, how you choose to use your senses. So when I, when I go um, outside the door, I, I notice the beautiful trees. I notice the smell. I'm all of a sudden listening to the bird. I'm having coffee with Megan and I'm, I'm paying attention and listening to her. And I'm not letting this phone distract me. I'm not um, letting people walking around distract me from being fully present with, with you and what you're saying to me. 
And boy, we've really gotten away from that. And I think that it is our modern technology that continues to pull us more and more away from being present with ourselves and how I'm feeling, what's going on with me, and also being present and intentional in the way that I show up and live my life. And so I really do believe that we all need a place to practice and get better at Pratyahara, a place where without having to get injured, that we slow down a little bit. And we, I call it, you know, filling my cup, but feeding myself in a way that um, we we are designed. I, I want to just jump in here and say this, Megan, we, we're designed this way. So I know that if I don't go to bed and sleep for six, seven, eight hours at night, and I do this for a few days, I don't function properly. My body doesn't work right. My mind is a little off. My energy is drained. So we know that we need to sleep. We know that we need to rest. But we also know that we need a break throughout the day where we quiet ourselves from our, our busyness. And what we realize when we take these little breaks, we're better than at our job. We're better at what we do. And and, and so we we are designed to have this time of silence. We're designed to um, to go inward. Um, meditation is 5,000 years old. And we came up with this idea of meditating because we knew that if we don't spend time in some type of silence and quiet, like, like sleep, that we don't function as well. So your golden journey is an invitation to begin your days with five minutes of silence or to end your day with five minutes of silence. But I really encourage people to use it as your first meal of the day. So you know how we used to say like first meal of the day, eat, you know, bran muffins and fruit because you know, you're fueling yourself. That's the best fuel you want to have your whole day to start with, but really Honestly, the best fuel we could possibly start our day with is starting your day with silence and um, having perspective of your own thoughts rather than how many of us start our day with whatever the phone dictates. Maybe it's news. You know, the alarm goes off and you're like Megan looking at what her clients need already. And, you know, we were all guilty of that. I'm a yoga teacher and I have to practice what I preach and um, put my phone aside, put my computer aside and have, you know, like I said, it can be as simple as five minutes where you are giving yourself the silence we were designed to have. And, and, and in that silence, we create this space of listening where you can really hear yourself. What, what makes us happy? You know, I think for you, Megan, you're, you're similar to so many of um, the, my friends and my students that when you're able to fill your cup and give yourself that you are better for your, you are better at being creative for your clients. You're better at being compassionate to your clients. You're, you're just a better version in every way of yourself. When you first put your people, always say this, put your oxygen mask on and then give that to others. But I think in our culture, we're just not getting time away from the distractions. And even the noise of the world is to give yourself a place where you start your day with, with that, that type of grounding, you know, and then to move into your day that way. In the book, I, I tell the story of my mom. And from a very young age, I saw my mom sit in the living room with her devotional books and she called it prayer. She did her prayer time and it made an in impression on me. You know, I didn't, I didn't bother her during that time because I knew that was for her and as as i as i began to become a, a young woman myself like that became such an important 
way that I continue to today take care of myself and feel like that is a way I can then be the best me for anyone in my life that I love. So it also sounds like starting your day with intention. And, yes. and can we talk about intention? Because I know that you like talking about this. Yeah. <laughs> um, and tying it along with your golden journey too, but why is it so important to start our day with having an intent of what, how, I mean, what, what is intention and what kind of different intentions are, are there really? Cause I think it can go a lot of different ways of like, I can have an intent of I'm going to work my butt off today, or I could have yeah. an intent of I'm going to be very calm. Can I, yeah. <laughs> the difference is, and I love your examples. I love your example, Megan, of saying like how busy you are because we're all busy. Yeah. And for me to even say, read this, you know, sit for, in silence for five minutes and read a book. People are like, I'm too, don't give me one other thing to do. But here's the trick is life running you? Or are you running your life? And when we live without intention, then we wake up, the alarm goes off, I'm brushing my teeth and I'm thinking about that meeting I'm gonna have. The news is going off and I'm afraid of the fires. And there's an election going on that's, you know, um, and it's just like those five dogs, you know, and, and, and they're pulling us like, um, and, and so to live with intention is to set that, that um, point in your mind of like, what is it that I want to have? I mean, honestly, Megan, it could be you wake and you're like, I want to work my butt off today. Yeah. But there has to be some intention behind that intention because I think too many days in a row, if I'm going to wake up excited about working my butt off, um, eventually catches up with you. Right. Um, right. So I think when we say Svadhyaya, when you make time for silence, you set intention for like, how do I self-care? How do I do things that, and, and here are some important ones what do I do to bring joy in my life? What do I do that makes me truly happy? Because sometimes I can say being busy makes me happy, but what am I busy doing? And, and does that always make me happy when I'm, you know, and, and so intention is in my opinion, one way to think of living a life that's conscious as a, as opposed to being unconscious. And, and then when I set my intention, I walk into my day with that. So I had a, a person I was working with who um, he he wanted to be less angry, you know, and so he set that intention to be less angry. And then what we did, rather than just oh, wake up in the morning and hope I'm happy today, because life's going to happen. Trust me, some something's going to be setting off to make you angry. So we we focused his attention on gratitude. And we came up with a gratitude practice for him. And, and every day he started his day very mindfully with intentions on different aspects of his life that he was grateful for and that were very real for him. And in that daily practice, we did it for a week, for a month, for two months. And guess what? The anger started to shift. But his intention what I want to say was to be less angry, but his intention was really to be happy, to be happy with his family, to be happy in the job that he had chosen. And, and so I think in setting intention to me is one of the most important things we can do in our life. And we can set these big intentions, like for the new year, 
But if they don't have daily practices within them, if we don't have ways of waking up in the morning and saying, I want to live, you know, my life with, um, with love, uh, then we oftentimes life dictates our happiness or our unhappiness then. So, um, so yeah, I feel like when we offer you this opportunity for reflection, then when you have that time to sit in silence and you have reflection around something, you can then um, set that intention of what is it that I want? I, I think I have the time people, you just don't know you wake up in the morning and you're in your car and you're drinking your coffee and office is already mad at you about something and life is, life is pulling us. I think that's the benefit of getting quiet to, to be able to, like you said, with your um, yoga practices, to be able to understand how you're thinking and what's going on in your mind and what are the quality of those thoughts. And even going one step farther of why am I having those thoughts and where, what's the root of the problem or whatever I want to solve or why do I actually feel that way? It's a lifelong journey though, right? <laughs> yeah, it's a lifelong journey. And one of the things that I write about, and Megan, you know this from yoga, but it's a practice. And so if I set the intention of being a grateful person, which I have for, for many years, I have a meditation practice around gratitude. If I, if I stop practicing just the same way, if I stop doing yoga um, up dogs, if I stop doing those um, things start to close up in my chest area or my arms get weaker. If I stop doing my gratitude practice, I lose that strength that I have really found from, from walking into my day every day, unconsciously looking for what brings me joy and what I'm grateful for. So it is a practice and there is no destination, which as why I love to call it the journey. It is a journey. And when it's a pilgrimage journey, then there is intention there's intention of, of changing and becoming better. Um, out of your, your, this, this is a big question. <laughs> what do you have a day in your golden journey that you think is the most impactful? Ooh, Ooh, it's so hard. No, I knew it. <laughs> it's hard because I'm, as we're going to talk about, um, in a little bit, I'm working on, um, I'm doing a, a year long course and I want to start every single one with, I love this one. This is my favorite. <laughs> so yeah, that's such a hard one to answer. I know, which one I is my favorite. <laughs> I mean, I, I chose them because there's so many yeah. of them that are my favorites, but, but I love to hear what other people's favorites are ones that stick with them and are life-changing. And um, yeah, I, 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 I love the, what we were just talking about the unplug and reset is one yeah. of my favorites, which is like the same as computers. When our computer goes out, okay, turn it off and turn it back on. But we do that for ourselves. This is just the one I was reading today, but uh, I so hard, Megan. I love them all. I really do. Um, I, I guess I'll, I'll, I'll weigh in a little bit here. <laughs> yeah. Tell me your favorite. Well, I think the gratitude is the most impactful thing you can do. And I've, gone through a point in my life where I woke up and the first thing that I was saying was the F word. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's not good. <laughs> no, but as soon as, as soon as you start the gratitude practice, I noticed myself waking up being like, I'm grateful for another day. And that's such a better place to be, but you don't get there until you have the awareness that you are 
saying something that is affecting the energy of the day until you start intentionally doing things that will uplift you. And there's a ton of research and neuroscience behind um, a gratitude practice, which I'm sure we could talk a whole another hour about. Yeah. But you know, in the golden journey, it's at the very front end of it because I want people to start it right away and do yeah. it for the entire yeah. journey. It, it's really different than just being a grateful person Yeah, because you could wake up and the first thing you're thinking of is, you know, oh shit or whatever, you know, but, but still be a grateful person, right? Like, oh, but I'm so grateful that Diana's in my life and I'm grateful that I have my yoga practice there. But I think that having it as a meditation is really where it is a game changer because it changes the neural pathways um, that are, we don't realize, you know, I, in the book, I say 10,000 hours, you know, what do you want to be an expert in the Malcolm Gladwell outliers? Like, what do you want to be an expert in? And with all things we want to be an expert in, but I'm like, if you really think about like the preciousness of your life, we don't get to do this forever. No, really, what do you want to be good at? I think we all want to be good at being happy and living fulfilled, loving lives. And how do we get there? Then there's like, okay, this is my job now. Like, how do you get there? Well, I think we get there by first acknowledging what already makes us happy, what we already have that is amazing and wonderful. And it's like, um, a vibration or a frequency. Like I could say, this has been, you know, cool hanging out with you, Megan. But when I say, Megan, I just really want to thank you for giving me the opportunity to talk with you today, but to also talk with any person that's going to hear this because of you. Thank you so much. I've just raised the vibration. You know, I've just changed it. So when you start your day saying, and I have people put their hands on their heart and make that physical connection to your core center to say, I am grateful for another day of, of my precious life. I am grateful for this house that I live in. I'm grateful for the person next to me. I'm grateful for my mother down the road. And you just start to say that and it's, then you're looking through your day too, right? For that's what I'm grateful for. And it really does change what you don't realize a neural pathway to worry. I think with so much access to news right now, to world news, it's that quick. We don't realize how much we're worrying and we're stressed. And, and we don't realize we've created very deep neural pathways that just pull us right to worrying and pull us right to stress. So we need some other grounding, strong um, canals that go down a path that take us to, but I'm happy today because this is real. Um, the first time that I learned a gratitude practice from you was you of the beans or the rocks mm -hmm. and having the seven that were one color and three that were a different color to intentionally pick out three new things within your day, because it's really easy to go, Oh, I'm grateful for my computer. I'm grateful for my phone. But then it makes us look deeper into, I'm really grateful that my mom brought me flowers today, or I'm really grateful that Sally called me because I was feeling bad. It helps us look at a bigger, broader picture rather than just the things that are right in front of us that we may take for granted. We could be grateful of them, but if we're not intentionally looking at new things, then we're not expanding new neural pathways. That's so true. And this book refers to many, many, many other books. 
One of my favorites behind me is, we'll grab it if I could grab it quick, The Happiness Advantage. Sean Akerd, Harvard professor, just filled with funny stories and great research about this, about how do we become better at being happy? And, and they are practices like gratitude. And, and the more we um, find like that is um, one of the things he says is to always choose something new. So we do the pinky new thing. When you were doing it, it was the beans, the different colored beans. But in his book, he talks about the Tetris effect and this research they did with the game Tetris, where they had college students playing Tetris for hours and hours and hours and hours. What they found is that when they walked out into the day, they're seeing cereal boxes and putting them in Tetris order and, <laughs> and trucks going by and wanting to put them in Tetris order. And they realize we're literally burning these images into our brain. And so if we don't realize it, we're watching too much news or we have friends that are a bit negative that we're talking to all the time at work or whatever, it's, it's creating a pathway. And so we, again, I'm going to use the word intentional. We intentionally create a pathway to gratitude and throughout the day, then it's on autopilot. And I can just tell you this, honestly, in some of the hardest times in my life, when I could have gone down a dark hole it was my gratitude that held me up and it was just there. I wasn't even trying. I wasn't trying to hold on to it. It was just this, this life set, this life uh, preserver for me that brought me back up to, Hey, die, come on, look at this. You've got this, you know, and it, it really has changed my life. And so I love teaching it. I'm glad it's your favorite. <laughs> um, Let's talk about your golden journey program. Yeah, I would love to talk about the golden journey program because it, it kind of comes back to the first version of this book that I was going to write. Most people don't know this, but now that you're watching the podcast, you know, <laughs> it was going to be a year long pilgrimage, kind of like going to Spain or France to watch the, to walk the community. Santiago is like this long journey. Um, and I still think there's such value in taking this, these same teachings and saying, I want to commit to a full year of really sinking into um, myself. I really want to take some time. I, I, I spend all this time on people in my life that I love and my job and all these things that pull from me. I want to spend an entire year dedicated to self-study and self, um, self-expansion and, 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 and transformation. I know it sounds like a big word, but I can tell you, and Megan has already said this gratitude transformed your life. If you know that you're not waking up and feeling that like, Oh crap, every day, like that, that's transformation right there. That's the kind of transformation I'm talking about real stuff, real stuff that just makes us happier people. And the online course is an opportunity for me to take one day and stretch it out for a week. So for example, if we were doing the, I just happened to open it up to day eight, which is imaginal cells, which is uh, this really cool thing that happens when uh, caterpillars transition and then turn into butterflies. First, they become this sack of mush and their cells that were caterpillar cells become these scientists are still baffled by it. These imaginal cells that imagine an antenna, they imagine a wing and they imagine a body. And then they start to cluster together to form this winged creature. 
And the, the, the metaphor for us is so powerful. So rather than reading it and then tomorrow going on to the next teaching on Viktor Frankl, we stick with that for a whole week and think about the metamorphosis of the butterfly and how for us to transform takes imagination. I have to be able to imagine how I want to be. I have to visualize that um, in order to, and, and all the different aspects of that particular day eight, you get like a week. And as Megan said, I love homework. And so um, you also get homework that you take into that week and you might be doing some journaling or you might be doing some um, different practice um, of getting outside or, or, or saying something that you don't normally say as a way to kind of shift. So the way it looks is kind of like this. It's on a computer or a phone and you get a, a video from me at the beginning of the week. And the video starts with the practice of, of silence and breath. And so there's a tutorial on breath practice. As many notes as there are to create music, there's as many notes for how you breathe and how you breathe really is how it determines your health as well. It's a way for you to, to meditate and to quiet yourself. So we start with a, a three to five minute tutorial on breath. Then we do a little mini breath practice, a two to three minute breath practice a meditation practice, which we then go into gratitude and then I go into a, maybe a 10, 12 minute study that's different from the book or built on the books or things I didn't get to talk about. For example, like the, the part about the beans is not in the book, but I have this really great story about when the beans got mixed together once um, that I would share in the course that wasn't in the book. And then I finish with homework. And it's just a really wonderful opportunity for me to come into your house. So it's like coming to your house, Megan. Hi, Megan. It's Diana. Get your coffee. We're going to study, you know, imaginal cells today. And we're going to get excited about imaginal cells. I'm going to give you some stuff to do. And I want you to take it seriously. And then next week, we're going to come back and study the next one. Um, so it's on a really simple platform where you can access it. And the nice thing about it as well, because we are all so busy, maybe you start it. And then halfway through, you have to stop and go, you know, let your dog outside and then come back in and then pick up off, off it again. Or maybe you want to watch it a second time. And you can do that because it's a course that you have in your home. And it's a way for me. I mean, I really love this like school without walls. It's a way for me to not have to be in a school, but to get to be your teacher and to get to give you these teachings that I'm so excited about. There's also a part of the course where you can come to our live class once a month and meet the other pilgrims, which is fun. Um, one of the pilgrims uh, right now is living in England, and another one of the pilgrims is in um, Israel. And we got some pilgrims in North California and just all over the place. And you'll be entering at different times. So someone who's just on week one, someone else is on week 40. There's different things to share in that as well. So I love the opportunity for a live, like live teaching with me and then a Q&A where we can kind of share with each other. Um, and then there's also a little communication platform too, where you can send in emails and questions. And I'm, I'm on that once a week where I'm responding to people. So that is the online course. You get to do the whole year, even though I didn't write the book for the whole year. I think it's great because you get one of these teachings for a full week, which is ideal. And then you get to sit with it a little bit longer and keep ruminating and learning and pulling new lessons from it as you go to. I, Dan, I'm not even kidding. You are just have been one of the most influential people in my life and my growth. So I'm so excited that anybody anywhere can 
and has the opportunity to work with you in this capacity. And where can they find that course? You can find that course on our website, the dianachristensen.com, which we'll have Megan and we'll have a link for that. And you can either sign up for the whole year and pay the, the $350, or you can sign up monthly and just almost as a subscription that you can just be uh, renewing that monthly. So it's a different finance financial plan. And as well, I was so honored that Megan was going to have me on her podcast that I asked her if you sign up through Megan, because you are um, someone who's in her tribe and, and her orb, I would like to gift you a copy of the book and actually sign it to you. So if you do sign up through Megan, she'll have a link that you can sign up. Um, and I would like to sign it and put a prayer thread, which you'll understand once you get the book as a way for you to have something that you wear, that you look at, that's reminding you that you're on this journey um, from me and yeah, we'll send it right to your house. Amazing. Um, and I will link to all of these things in the show notes and I'll also link to Diana's social media. She's got a YouTube channel, Instagram. Um, what else am I missing? Is there anything else? You know, I, one other thing I would say is I, I purposely put myself in front of these books. And when you do the online course, I'm in front of the books but I do give you some really wonderful videos to watch and some of the books that will be in my life library that might be in your life library if you um, if you choose to go on the journey and really study and give yourself an opportunity to have a year of self-reflection and growth and pull from all these different great teachers from different time periods and different cultures and different modalities, psychology, as well as philosophy, some poetry. Um, I'm really excited to share all that with you. So Megan, thank you for giving me the opportunity to be here and to meet your people. So thank, thank, you. thank you. Thank you guys so much for tuning in to another episode of the world of wellness podcast head over to dianachristensen.com. I'm not kidding you. She has been one of the most influential teachers in my life. And I'm just so excited to be able to help her and spread the word. And you will not regret signing up for her um, golden journey program. So there's a link. If you liked this episode, please like subscribe and share with a friend. Have a great day. Get fit, feel good. Have fun. We'll see you soon.